Hey, it's Alana. And Jacqueline. And we're back for another episode of Black and Yellow. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. So today's episode, we're going back to an original format. We're going to talk about issues of racism, but this time it's racism within our own communities. Mm-hmm. The sort of racism that's very prevalent, it's very prominent, but if you're not in an ethnic culture or you're not really hip to how intrapersonalized racism or internalized racism works, you probably won't recognize it. No, you have you'd have no idea what's going on. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes this sort of racism is almost more detrimental and more hurtful than plain old white supremacy racism. Yeah, because it almost feels like you're getting backstabbed or it feels weird because the thing or the person or whatever is happening that the, the racism that's happening is from someone that either looks like you mm-hmm. or has the same background. So it's a very it's a very strange feeling. Like here we should be connected and loving yeah. and and for each other. Totally. But whether but but rather we are um, being mean. Yeah, totally. It's <laughs> so. like we look we look similar. <laughs> yeah. We share a skin color. Yeah. Perhaps we share a heritage. Yeah. But yet we are at odds yeah. for some odd reason. Somehow, and it doesn't make sense, but it's out there in this world that we live in. Yeah, totally. So yeah. we're here to talk about it today. Uh, so to get started, I'm going to just give you a definition for what internalized racism is. So internalized racism is the discrimination within a race, whether by looks or by skin color. And internalized oppression occurs among members of the same cultural group. So black to black or Chinese to Chinese, Japanese to Japanese, so on and so forth. People in the same group believe, often unconsciously, the misinformation and stereotypes that society communicates about other members of their group. Hmm. And that could stretch as far as talking about someone's skin color, educational background, uh, status, class, where someone grew up, a type of neighborhood that you grew up in. All All of of those things uh, encompassed why one would completely uh, turn their back on their own kind. Right. And sometimes, like I said in the definition, this is unconscious. And sometimes it's conscious. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Sometimes it's conscious because, listen, it's difficult to be a person of color. Yeah. Out in these streets. It is. It's hard to be a really oppressed person. Mm -hmm. And sometimes us oppressed people want to feel important as well. Yeah. And so we turn on each other because that's just easier to do in the moment than Mm -hmm. to deal with the bigger problem of white supremacy, which is a harried difficult thing to tackle definitely i completely agree with you right so i don't really know much about internalized racism in asian cultures i definitely understand it in the black community right can you just tell me a little bit about yeah so i between the actual races like from chinese to chinese japanese to japanese there isn't so much of that we can talk so much about class and status or hey you know I'm better or I'm this and that because I'm richer than you you know you find that in anywhere just in humans in general so actually within our actually own culture there isn't much it's actually between the other I what I where I'm coming from as far as this episode is more of the entire Asian community as itself so not so much 
Asian, Asian, Japanese, Japanese, but more between stretching the continents over and how Asians make fun of Asians. Okay. And how to other people, to other people, it's kind of, it feels like it's the same thing. It kind of does, on the outside, it does look like it's somewhat of an internalized racism because we all look the same. Yes. To the outside public. Would you just call me out? You just called me out. I'm sorry. Damn, Jackie. On air? It's okay. okay thanks. It's all okay. Right. I'm, I'm sorry. Good. I'm, I'm good. sorry. I'm not dead. Don't take it personal. My bad. Um, <laughs> um, Learning moments. All good. Uh, so I definitely am coming from more of a historical Lay uh, on me. conflict Lay on that us. sort of has bled into the generations between Chinese and Japanese. And that's sort of the biggest most prevalent, most current, most modern that still exists all the way from World War II. Yeah, there are some pretty nasty fuckers, man. (laughs) They were nasty. (laughs) Tell me more. (laughs) Tell me more. I mean, so this starts way, way, way back from World War II and post-World War II. And... It kind of began when Japanese, this tiny little country, decides to try to be this one nation power. I mean, they attacked Pearl Harbor, you know? They, like, they they did all kinds of crazy stuff. They're crazy. Is this, is this actually happening here this, a little bit? This is bit? happening right now. Right. Like, you're seeing it play out. No judgments over here. I'm not judging. I'm just listening. There's a bunch of movies, enough. Enough to show that <laughs> they were a little bit too much, and they had to calm their asses down. Um, so it is more of this, you know, entire anti-Japanese sentiment that is in all of mainland China mm-hmm. and obviously parts of Taiwan as well. I am not, I mean, I'm Chinese, but I am, I was, I never grew up in mainland China, even though I speak the language and I have a little, I'm more of my roots is connected to Taiwan than okay. China. However, the empire of Japan, as what they called it back then, started um, invading and seizing a lot of concessions in areas of China towards the end of the Qing dynasty, um, which uh, was actually the last uh, imperial dynasty, which ruled from from 1644 to 1912. Um, So this... This also stems from the Sino the Sino Japanese War was a it was a military conflict between China primarily between China and Japan. So this all was like kind of overlapping between World War Two, okay, um, and all of these sort of um, the little like conflicts that were going on. Got it. And this actually this military conflict happened between 1937 to 1945 which is a long time um the effects of it were crazy i mean just some facts to put out there seven to 16 million depending which statistics you're kind of going off of 17 to 16 million civilian deaths Mm -hmm. for what japan was invading and trying to seize in China left 383.3 billion dollars during that time. Oh, that's a lot of money. In USD dollars. Wow. Yeah. USD dollars. I know. Love it. <laughs> it was like specific. I was like it's not yen. Exactly. It's not- <laughs> I like that you clarified that. I love it. Gold star. <laughs> you that's a lot of money during that time. That's a fuck Can you imagine how much damage time. they must have done in the country? I can't. Yeah. I actually cannot. And so I think a lot of people sort of overlook the whole um, 
what's actually happening between they remember like D-Day and mm-hmm. Stalingrad and all this stuff but they kind of forget about the what was actually happening in World War II between China and Japan which actually lasted the longest out of all the other countries that were you know sort of going at it with each other dude call us out because I definitely yeah I think it's a little overlooked yeah um and this I totally I, I was I was it was such a little surprise this brought up again we had remember we had the episode this little side note on the comfort women yes yeah so the Japanese people started all this Oh, which I oh, like. That's right. Yeah, that's right. A bunch of Chinese women were forced to go into sexual slavery. Yes, because of the Japanese imperial army being in China. That's right. And when we say forced, like some were forced, some were tricked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah like that kind of thing. Right. That's an episode unto itself. itself. I completely. Yes, I completely overlooked the comfort women in that whole era and yeah. the plethora of women that were wronged right. during that time. Sorry, we're getting way off track. Oh, it's okay. But it's still... that particular topic does fire me up. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it began during this time because of the Japanese army. Got it. Oh. Um, so, assholes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> okay. So, I was reading a couple articles online just about what it was like from certain people who actually grew up in China Hmm. having this sort of anti-Japanese sentiment being already embedded in the culture and in the media and how the government chose to reveal it and to educate the, the, the population. Someone said something really interesting that I think she's more like amongst our age, so obviously she wasn't alive during those those war times. Mm-hmm. But she said that it's not necessarily that they maybe truly hate the Japanese, but that they feel responsible to hate them. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. So it's almost because the Japanese carried out these atrocities. It's almost like a sign of respect in a weird to continue to to to, to dislike them, disrespect them. Yeah, it's in a oh. weird way like this, like national like psyche that somehow that's the right thing to do. And even if you weren't directly, uh, wow, if you even if you weren't directly affected by what the Japanese people did to your family during those times. You still felt the need to, it's a respect thing. It you is. feel the need to uphold the yes. Which is a, <laughs> respect I mean, for your culture yes. by like dissing their culture. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, I thought that was really fascinating. Like it's not the actual that they really, but the, but the fact that they, they somehow just have to do what everyone else is doing because it is the right thing to do. Got it. Yeah. And it's disrespectful to go the other way and say, no, I'm not going to do yeah, that. Yeah. They didn't, pers- the Japanese didn't personally wrong me, so yeah. I'm not going to. Wow. So that's just interesting to reflect on that one. That is interesting because yeah. over here back in the United States, I feel like internalized racism is something that's very much learned in mm. the black. So I think that I'm talking internalized racism. You're talking interpersonal racism. Yes. Okay. Just to get that super right. clear. Right, 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 right. I think, I think internalized racism is a thing that has been learned in the African-American community. Mm. And I think it's totally subconscious. And I think it's... It's almost like a double-edged sword. Okay. Because there's this idea of, like, stick together, never turn your back on your own kind. Yeah. Brothers and sisters. Yeah. Yeah, unite. Like, I love my black brothers and sisters. But then somewhere in the, when I'm just around black people, it's a totally black environment, I could feel the underpinnings of a little bit of self-segregation happening, if Mm. that makes sense. Uh, Explain that a little. So... 
sometimes when I was growing up, it was definitely like a light skin, dark skin thing. That was the most immediate form of self-segregation I felt or yellow bone, red bone. If what you're, does that mean again? if you keep up, so yellow bone is light skinned. If you're oh. a lighter skinned black male or female okay. versus red bone, who is essentially darker skinned. I see. And the, the, the difference in that is there's a belief that if you're lighter skinned, your life is easier because you're closer in resemblance to whiteness. Uh huh. Yes. Than red bone or than yeah. the darker skinned person. But the other side of that is that the darker skinned person often comes across looks wise as more authentically black, oh. as though you look as though you came from like, the motherland. So there's yes. this, an inlaid sense of authenticity like, there. They are true black. Right. Exactly. Versus if you are somewhat lighter you might be tainted or or maybe you're not fully black maybe you have a half maybe you're half white or maybe you're half filipino that's an interesting half... episode too what it's like to be half yeah because we're both full, like i'm 100 percent chinese and you're obviously 100 percent black correct so even even just like the halfies mm -hmm. how did they feel growing up sort of you're Straddling not too asian you're not too white how do you kind of yeah well also in our u.s society if you look even slightly like a person of color or like the, an you're that person, you're that. I think yeah. Trevor Noah. We we mentioned well, uh, that in the Trevor Noah um, episode. inspired we, episode. We also talked about um, a little bit about Jordan Peele, how he's half white and half yeah. black, but he's the first black man to win to win an or in that category to totally. win an Oscar. So it's just very interesting. Like someone, I have that issue with a lot of half Asian, half white when hmm. something gets casted mm -hmm. in a movie or a TV show when maybe the role is actually supposed to be an authentic hundred percent Asian person, mm -hmm. but then Hollywood will cast a half white half asian girl or half white half asian guy and i'm and it almost feels cheated yeah like on my end i feel like it's so interesting why cheated that's an interesting no. word for it it's almost like they don't want to they they're afraid they're afraid to maybe get someone who looks so authentically asian because of what what the world might respond to that so they'll get someone who's only a little bit that Okay. I'm trying to communicate this a little better. Does that make sense? Like... Yes. I think I think what I'm understanding you to say is that you're, you're saying that they go for someone who's a little bit, who's half white, half Asian, because perhaps a fully Asian look, a fully Asian aesthetic isn't necessarily what... They really want. Right. Or what white America is most comfortable seeing. Oh, yeah. Or ready for. Exactly. Yeah. And so it feels kind of like... They get by. You gotta step it down a notch. Yeah, because they're like, well, she's half, so we're sort of sticking true right. to to what the character should be. Right, because we don't want to alienate the people that are going to come and see the film. Yes, but we also have to have a little bit of whiteness in there because that's just what we do. Got it. Oh, interesting. And that bothers me. Okay. All right. Well, we'll talk about how to unlearn <laughs> internalized racism a little bit later in the episode. All right, all right. I promise. Okay. Um, in terms of of African American African American <laughs> internalized racism, the di the dark skin, light skin thing. I mean, you could definitely look back to slavery and slave times uh -huh. to see when we started to get pitted against each other by the, the owners. By yes, by slave owners. Okay. So, in researching the show, I tried to find to pinpoint the exact event that black people started to essentially be divided and okay. and and dislike each other be pitted against each other so on and so forth and i think i think i stumbled upon the right event so a couple of different uh articles that i was reading all mentioned the william lynch speech of 1712 
And so William Lynch gave a speech. It was called The Making of a Slave. He addressed slave owners in this speech, which was delivered on the James Bank River in Virginia. And in the speech, he taught the slave owners how to pit slaves against each other as a way of problem solving. Mm. So his methods to divide black people made them distrust each other and solely depend and trust on white slave owners. Mm. That was essentially the end result is pit them against each other and they're only going to look to you for the answers. So you have ultimate control. And here are a couple of excerpts from that speech. He says, quote, I have outlined a number of differences among the slaves. And I take these differences and make them bigger. I use fear, distrust, and envy for control purposes. End quote. Another quote is, you must use the dark slaves versus the light slaves and the light slaves versus the dark slaves. End quote. Final quote. On top of my list is age, but it's only because it starts with A. The second is color or shade. So Mm. that... Many historians believe that's the event that started to get black people to turn against each other. And in a larger sense, that event started this learned sense of internalized racism. Mm. And you still definitely feel the ripple effects today. I mean, I had friends who were much darker skinned than I growing up. And there was always this, you know, when you're in grade school and you're going through that time and you know you've got crushes on boys and maybe they have crushes on you maybe they don't I definitely from my dark-skinned friends always felt a little bit of hesitation on their end to even you know admit that they like someone for fear that that person wouldn't reciprocate Mm -hmm. in the liking back solely because of their skin color wow solely because of the fact that they were darker than our white society tells us is acceptable I see. <laughs> because for some people, I mean, I feel like when you're a kid, if you aren't as close to the norm as possible, and let's be real, in the in our U.S. society, as close to white is the norm. Yeah, whatever that means. Exactly. <laughs> then somehow you're, if you're weird, away from that, you're weird, yeah, you're dangerous, loose cannon, mm-hmm. we don't, we're not sure what to do with you, mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and black people... That whole light dark thing definitely still exists exists today. Yeah, uh, I'm thinking of two friends of mine. They're sisters. One is a darker skinned African American girl. One is a lighter skinned African American girl. They share the same mom but different fathers. Okay, and the father has always I don't want to say played favorites, but has definitely showed more um, concentrated love towards the darker skin one. Interesting. Because the belief is that she's going to have a harder life. Oh. The one that's lighter skin is going to have an easier time going through life, navigating through life, whether it's I career, see. whether it's love, whether it's so friendships. Do you, because you are you are lighter skinned. Yeah. Ish. Ish. No, not like obviously too obvious, but can do you have any examples in your life where that, not stigma, but that is kind of true where you felt like you had you had an upper hand or because maybe amongst your friends or even just by yourself you were treated a little better or a little different because you're a little bit more lighter skinned? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, I'm solidly like right there in the middle between light and dark. Yeah, I think you are too. But if you were to pin you up against like, not pin you up, huh? I'm already, I'm already <laughs> using the words, Jesus. If you're all, if you're, you know, amongst a group of darker girls, obviously mm-hmm. you'd be the lighter skinned one. I think I noticed it more from the standpoint of not being physically black enough. Oh, I think I noticed it more coming from that angle as opposed to like being too light. Oh, I see. And so the 
Okay, got it. Like for me, it was always, are you fully black? Because not only am I not super dark, but I always wore my hair straight. So they thought maybe you had mixed. Yeah, because it's see. a thing in black community. Like you always made sure your daughter's hair was pressed or laid, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. It was a sign of, for my mom, good parenting, but it's also a sign of status. I see. Um, so there was always that question of, are you black? Because you don't have black hair. Um... You aren't super dark. Like maybe there's something in you that you're unaware of. You're not authentically black was always like the bottom line. Yeah. That's where I felt it more. Ah. Uh, yeah. I see. Interesting. Okay. Good to know. I was just curious. Oh, no, that's totally fine. Yeah, yeah. So I have a question. How do, so Chinese and Japanese, what are the ways that you make, can I ask? <laughs> what are the ways that you make fun of Japanese people? Is it like, do you well, make fun of language? Do you make fun of tradition? Do you make fun of? We probably make fun of how crazy they are. Okay, got like, it. Like, like just how and the culture because Japanese culture in of in it of itself has more well I can't say for sure but pretty bad on the level of guilt and shame okay so Japanese culture has so much guilt and shame revolved around self-expression self-love like you sex. can't do it like you shouldn't um, do it I mean, Japanese porn, they're, everything is censored. You can't, like... They I didn't show, know that. Yeah, you can't show everything is, like, the, the like the penis and the vagina are completely censored. You can't... So you have porn, but you, like, censor the privates. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's not allowed. It's illegal. So your your imagination sort of has to do... Yeah, so it's kind of bizarre, of right? Just think about it. On, on, on a psychological level of, like... We're getting a little explicit here, but, but just... Go for it. You're going to film and do porn... But you're gonna blur out the most important parts parts of the actual uh, show. Yeah, we we want to see the insertion. We want to see the grinding. Yeah. We want to see the pop shots. It's, we want to see right. the ejaculation shots. Like, yeah, no, I get you. I hear you. So, so think about it on their end. How sort of messed up that idea is, mm-hmm. and transform it into like everyday life, and how. Um, I mean, Tokyo suicide rates are sky high. Sky high, um, higher than whole, China's, correct? Oh yes. For okay, sure. I thought so, but I just wanted to verify before. Um, not saying you know, this idea that everyone is sort of has to be perfect. You know, people idealize and Chinese, and that's why there's this sort of, especially in today today's world where. Um, I think China really respects and admires, and I mean the country all around the world too. I mean, I mean the world, how meticulous Japanese people are. Yes. How orderly, how um, educated, how um, disciplined in right. cleanliness and organization in in manners. I mean, they have the best manners of all of I've ever met. Do Chinese you know? people Etiquette. not? Chinese people do, but I, I think say. Japanese people have always taken it to the next level. As far as like organization, cleanliness, okay. efficiency, they just have this ability to do that, and it blows my mind. You and think I, it's like a natural one up? Yeah, one it's like it's like it's like that energy of wanting to like take over the world in World War Two. You take that and still you put permeates. it still permeates. <laughs> <laughs> all you right, know? all right, yeah. I mean, the whole samurai culture, all of that, the the anime, the manga, the Got the it. whole how far they are in technology and, you know, the robots and all this stuff. I mean, they huh. have always sort of led the way in, in, in that sense, and there's a lot to admire about them. But on the opposite side, 
You know, there's so much guilt and shame and darkness that they're not allowed to either embrace or express that leads to, um, you know, obviously a lot of suicide rates and a lot of just just sort of this kind of sense of craziness that I that I know or feel, Um, you know, uh, it's a very fascinating culture. I'm, I'm so fascinated. I need to by plan that. a trip to Japan. It You'd sounds. love it, and the food and everything. I mean, it's, wow, it's 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 such a beautiful country and has so much to offer. Mm-hmm. But what they did to, to invading and all this stuff was not the best. I not. I mean, they thought it was a good idea, but it, <laughs> it created this. It created this forever. Uh, forever. I mean, I mean, I would an- analyze it too. Like you know, being a, like imagine having ties to slavery. Yeah, of you, course. You would never be able to forgive, right? Or maybe forgive, but you'd never be able to forget mm-hmm. what they did. And so I think that bleeds into cultures to. Co- I mean, my mom, my mom's mom. I'm trying to get the story right, but my mom's mom. Something when I'm when Japanese people were in Taiwan. Um, a lot of people were getting um, a lot of casualties. Mm. And I know even just within my mom's side, because my mom's, my grandparents spoke fluent Japanese mm-hmm. because of how many Japanese people were occupied in Taiwan at that time. Wow. So you just had to learn it. Yeah. It just um, made sense too. Okay. Yeah. I mean, during those times, Japanese took over major cities mm-hmm. and infiltrated and invaded and kept them for a while. And so over time, you know, you're living, if you're just a civilian, yeah. you're living amongst these Japanese people. You're learning to be with them and, and, and you end up learning the language. Right. So a lot of generations during that time, let's say if you were born in 19, I don't know, 1900s, okay. a lot of people, um, Chinese, and I'm, and I'm including Taiwanese in this, would had to speak and, and learned how to speak Japanese. Got that it. just goes to show how you much forced, of that, yeah, yeah, your, your culture is um, compromised, and you have to bend to this other culture. Yeah, yeah, and so, and so that it, I mean, when I was I was reading a little bit about this, and I was shocked that it still happened. I mean, at the Olympics, they were booing the Japanese teams. Yeah, you, you know, there were that. signs in the air. Wow. Um. So it's still very, very prevalent. Got uh, it. And 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 sometimes I see it amongst my my older like my older family members mm-hmm. like they'll say one thing or two thing about Japanese people and I'm like oh there it is got it <laughs> World War II coming right back ah, in you know? oh wow like, it's still that palpable I think so yeah got it I think they really they really uh, those atrocities were, were made made an impact definitely yeah. and yeah. yeah I guess in black culture I could compare that to those family members of mine or older african-american people that i know that have lived through into segregation and integration Mm. and you know the black people that lived through segregation and came out on the other side they are the black people that are like look don't ever trust white people like you don't know what we know you don't know how badly they talk about us when we're not around Mm -hmm. you don't you know what I mean like there's this sense of I get that that was how it was quote unquote done back in the day but there's also that sense of from African-American people of we are still human we are still people and even though that was how it was quote unquote done you did it mindlessly Mm -hmm. and you still treated us like second-class citizens and even though we're quote unquote equal now let's be honest that's not true Mm -hmm. uh, those effects are still felt yeah you can't help it 
versus someone from my generation or maybe the generation above me and definitely below me where it's like we didn't we know that segregation and integration happened Mm -hmm. but we didn't personally live through it so our interactions with white people are not going to be as harrowed and hostile and scary personal yeah i agree and people of my generation are definitely more prone to trusting befriending loving white people yeah definitely yeah so that's how we got into pick up please edit this christian i wanted to talk a little bit about did you watch ali wong's baby cobra special on netflix no i don't really know much about ali wong so please first of all she is a writer on fresh off the boat and she's a stand-up comedian okay Second of all, as a feminist, mm-hmm. you should watch it because she does her stand-up pregnant. She's seven months pregnant. Wow. And if you think about a female stand-up comedian that actually gets pregnant or performs and maybe gets pregnant and her career is over, there's not a single one that, like the fact that she's a mother and the fact that she's doing it pregnant mm-hmm. like is a, is a stand for being a woman and being powerful and doing what she wants to do. So that in Definitely. itself was a, such a feminist moment. Right. Um. And she talks about how being pregnant really helped her sort of have the courage. And her other stand-up specials or stand-up shows, she would always focus on what she should be wearing, what she should look like. And especially that one when she was pregnant, she was like, fuck it. I don't care what I'm going to wear. Yeah. So it was really... Pregnancy will do that to you. Not that I know. I've never been pregnant. But yes, that'll do it to you. But as an Asian-American woman, she really questions... She really... Uh, questions and and sort of pushes the buttons on what it's like to date a white man Mm. and about being Asian American and all this stuff. You'd love it. It's hilarious. Yeah. Um, I I mean, obviously it was a little more funny to me because I could relate to some of the stuff that she was saying. But in and of itself, you growing up here in Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know what it's like to be around a lot of Asians. So I'm sure you could relate. Definitely. Uh, But there's this one line that I love where she says, she goes, so my husband is half Filipino and half Japanese, and I'm half Chinese and half Vietnamese. Ooh, it's like- and we spend 100% of our time shitting on Koreans. Oh. <laughs> what? I know. Tell me. I, I, I Explain this joke. And then I... she says, we are part jungle Asian and we are part fancy Asian. Huh. Jungle Asian, meaning the Filipino okay. and the Vietnamese, because they're darker. Got it. And they're from the South. Okay, I understand. And they're Got not it. as fancy. Fancy Asians, meaning Chinese, Japanese, Koreans. Mm-hmm. And so that was funny because she, 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 not a lot of, I'm not so sure how much of it is out there in stand up comedian world, but the Asians do make fun of a lot of our other Asian mates. This sort of, she kind of pokes at the interracial, interracial discrimination that goes on. Yeah. On a day to day, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to sort of see it in the modern way because so much of this inter interracial racism is more historical. Yeah. Right? Of like what happened during the war, how it so trickled down to today's today's world. But some a little bit more of this modern discrimination, which can be more overlooked, like you said, mm-hmm. that you kind of don't really feel it until you're like, wait a minute, we look the same, but yeah. you're taking a jab at me. So question, because I'm trying to like, how would this play out? So, so like at work. Okay. Oh, go ahead. Do your thing. Tell me No, that. no. I, go, go for it. Go for it. Because I like, was going to set up a hypothetical situation. Oh, I see. Well, I mean, so if it's, let's say I, 
it's a group of people or it's a group of Chinese people. Um, Koreans are known for having this thing called K-Rage. Okay. Um, which they'll... Sounds exciting. <laughs> no, it's not. Oh, it's not. <laughs> Where they will rage. They will, like, be furious and get mad and, like, punch holes and get violent. So K-Rage is, like, angry black woman trope. Yes, but okay. Kor- Korean and mostly Korean men. Uh, oh. Yes. Okay. Yes. So... Ang- angry Korean men. Yes. Got it. So there's this thing of hypothetical slash real life experience mm-hmm. um, when we're all going out and we have a couple Korean friends and they've gotten too drunk. You say, oh, you know, he's going to get K-Rage in like an hour. So he'll get drunk and then obviously. Got it. Or you hear stories of like a Korean man beating his wife and you're like, ah, K-Rage. You know, like little things like that. Got Um, it. Just like the little stereotypes that we know from each individual different race, but still being Asian. Yeah. um, It's very, like Vietnamese people, love Hennessy like that's just really? something you know like little things like that that, really? that yeah that you you hear um and it kind of ends up being like like even at work with like Colleen being Colleen is half hi Colleen I I hope you're listening um <laughs> she's half Korean and half Chinese okay and um we always talk about what it's she always talks about what it's like to have like her mom like being K-Rage and then her dad like her her mom's Korean and her dad's Chinese and got it it's so interesting to to hear because she's got both of them right um but then we'll make fun of each other like I'll make fun of her Koreanness at work interesting and she'll make fun of me being Chinese it's very yeah it's so then I have a question about K-Rage I get that you're not Korean, not Korean. but I, I, I look Korean <laughs> everyone thinks I'm Korean just because we're on this topic I have to ask so as a as a black woman, the angry black woman trope is a trope that I always try and like fight against. Mm-hmm. And I re- sometimes in situations, I realize that my internalized racism is at play where maybe a joke is told or something is said and I know it's fucked up and it's rude against black people and I want to get mad. But then there's <laughs> that part of me that's like, okay, but you're like in a predominantly white space yeah. and you don't want to oh, you don't want to be the angry black woman. Does that exist in in? Korean culture um, and Asian culture because it sounds like K-Rage is just like a thing that happens but if you're K-Raging around other Koreans it might not be as big of a deal Oh, as I see. Like in. it's normal? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not Korean but I would definitely I would definitely think amongst the lines of that like if you are with your group of Koreans and maybe someone isn't as woke as the others <laughs> then then it, it's fine it's normal normal behavior got it but maybe if you are amongst other or other Asians uh-huh. you know yeah. or, or white people that you might have a little more attention of like let me watch my temper let me not give in to this sort of yeah. trope in totally a or maybe they don't give a fuck and they just rage see cuz that's more yeah. empowering yeah there's something really empowering about being like I am a Korean American. I am a Japanese American. I am a Chinese American. I don't give a fuck about the white gays. And yeah. I'm going to do me unapologetically. There is something really empowering. There is. About I that. agree. Absolutely. Whether or not it's, 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 I, yeah, it's hard. Whether or not yeah, you'd have to be there. But I agree. I totally agree of just being true to yourself. Yeah. And, and just going for it is a good is, is is very inspiring. Yeah, because as a as a black woman, I, I will say, growing up as a teenager, once I recognized that internalized racism was very much alive mm-hmm. and well and at play in my psyche, mm-hmm. then I was on a separate journey of unlearning internalized racism. Mm-hmm. So those certain situations that I would find myself in, where maybe I was in a predominantly white area 
or maybe I was at a predominantly white event. Okay. And I found myself going, do I belong here? Uh-huh. Is that, am I... Is this, am I normal? Am I normal I here? I feel like an alien. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And having to, ke- learning how to catch myself in that moment of wondering, am I belong, do I belong here? And more instead thinking, well, why do I have to think that? Are these white people thinking that? Yeah. You know what I it's mean? It's so interesting for me to like be very Asian and very American at the same time. And sometimes when it's flipped, like, I've been in areas, you know, where yeah. it's, like, a white person comes in and they feel so white. Right. And sometimes I relish those moments. Really? I do. Okay, like I okay. I kind of observe them and I'm sort of, like, I just, not that I want them to feel bad or, like, ha, 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 like, right. now it's your turn. I get you. But for them, it must be a totally wild experience to be like, whoa, I am fish out of water. Yeah. You know? We'd have to ask a white person to get a true yeah. I'd a true love to have their that. meaning. I mean, I have a I have one of my best friends. She's she's so she's white. I we call her an egg. Like she's white on the outside, yellow on the inside. Mm-hmm. She must have been Asian in her past life. But yeah, sometimes I, I should I should ask her of like, what do you feel like when you're surrounded by Asians? And, That'd be an interesting And she's question. a Midwest girl, didn't yeah. grow up with any Asian people. Uh, but she loves Asian culture and she loves Asian food. Okay, and, but she's not like doesn't necessarily like you know the, what do you call it? Not appropriating, but like these people that sort of like our black our, our, our like episode about why black people are so cool. Like these people that take on these like yeah. You know, she's not like that about the Asian culture. She right. just feels really comfortable and loves the food and is right has similar I guess demeanor of like wanting to learn and obey and all this stuff in a sense. Well, right. Okay. Then my question to you is, see, I hear that and I'm like, okay, well, don't Asian people really like white people? Isn't there like low key some like white praise yes. in Asian culture? Yes, We're like, for sure. If she's the only white girl, but everyone around you is like, girl, you're the shit. I mean, or however. Or they're accepting said. of her. Right. Oh, I see. Yes, Versus I guess. Versus if it were me then that could be a little bit different, different because black people are not always Yeah, Asian people are super racist against black people. Right. Yeah. Okay, I'm glad you said it. Yeah. Okay, got it. Okay, got it. Okay, awesome. There you go. Um, um, how do we get here? Yes. Learning how to undo internalized racism, I think a lot of it is about flipping the narrative, flipping the script. Uh-huh. When I found myself in situations where I was like, do I belong here? I had to stop and go, mm, actually, is this an inclusive space? Mm. Is this space inclusive of people that look and think like, like me? me? You know what I mean? Yeah. Or those situations where I'm like, am I worthy enough? Am I good enough to be pursuing this particular passion, this particular life goal, this particular interest? And learning how to flip that that narrative and go, well, yeah, why do I have to question if I'm worthy enough? I'm worthy enough of living a very full, interesting yeah. life, right? right? It's your life. You make it what you want to make it. Exactly. No, don't ask for permission. Or I think you could maybe relate to this. Am, am I too Asian? Am I acting too Asian? All the or time. for me, it's am I acting too black? Am I sounding too black? Yeah, or how do I act more... How do I be more white? Yeah, when I'm not. Yeah, exactly. It's very confusing because the situations where I'm like, where I'm like, am I too black? Perhaps for you, it's am I too Asian? I have to stop and go. Hold on one second. If I'm asking myself if I'm acting too black, then that means that I'm buying into this belief yes. that there is one yes. way to be black. Yes. That is white supremacy at play. Yep. That is internalized racism. Right. At play. And black people rock. Yes, Clearly. but so do Asian people. Yes, you know what I mean. Like we own 
<laughs> Absolutely. Slay, fierce, we all of that do. shit. We do. Definitely. And I think I've, growing up, we've, we've had an, a, 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 an episode about this or two where, where we have constantly said we didn't feel like we were the shit. Right. But like, we are. Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. It's truth. Yeah, and I feel like... And I'm not doing it a step on any white people's toes. No. Just being staying true and authentic to my culture and what I am and what I believe in right. just makes us the shit. But therein, it's the culture part of it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you are an ethnic person, there is a belief or a certain standard of what it's like to be ethnic. Yes. But for white people... They don't have that. They're just white. Yeah. And so white people have, I mean, part of white privilege, one of that, one of those invisible knapsack privileges that white people have is this idea that because you're white, you can be anything. Mm-hmm. If this were a movie, you could be the hero, yep. the villain. You, you could be the black person. You could be the Asian person. Whatever. Like, <laughs> you, you get yeah. to be everything. Anything, yeah. But when black people or Asian people are just authentically being themselves, they often are seen as having to act for their entire race. Yes. Whereas white people don't run that risk. That run, don't run that, that risk. At all. Yeah. Yeah. But you can be white collar, blue collar. You could also be like trailer park trash. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think it's the it was the, the playwright August Wilson that said, how come white artists get to make art, but black artists make statements? Mm. And that's always been a, a quote that I have come back to time and time again. So true, huh? Yeah. Because it's it's true. I feel yeah. like, uh, but you can take black out and replace it with Absolutely. Asian, Asian Mexican, Hispanic, Hispanic, yeah, whatever, yeah, Latino, like, yeah, gay, lesbian, whatever. If right. you want to go more of a, trans, who, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Like when when something other than white, which mm-hmm. I'm, to be white, Straight. the default is if you're white, you're normal. Yes. So adhere as closely to whiteness as possible, possible, and you will be as quote unquote normal as possible. Uh, once I made that connection in my head, mm. then I was like, fuck this shit. Like whether I'm too black or not black enough, I refuse to think those thoughts because I'm buying into this idea that there is one way to be a person of color. Right. And instead, I'm going to be authentically myself. No matter what. Yeah, because I'm not going to buy into one way of being black. I'm going to buy into many different ways of tearing down what your your assumption of being black means. Yes. And and doing it you, like your you're gonna be black your way yeah whatever that means definitely who gives a fuck it's just your Absolutely. way yeah yeah and I think the final internalized uh, narrative flip script is doing this show mm. allow me to explain okay go I feel like the white male voice has become the norm voice for podcasts for for podcasts Mainly. or just in society in alone. general in life yeah and i think minority people not just women but people feel afraid to maybe voice their opinions in a true and authentic way because if it's not the white way it's not the right way mm. and so i feel like to flip that script and have confidence in my opinions what i'm saying the the uh opinions i'm sharing with the world mm-hmm, what we're mm-hmm. doing right now absolutely this is i mean it's brave it takes for courage sure. it's not easy i mean this is out there forever yeah in a sense definitely um and as artists i think there's always a little fear of what people are going to think of your work of, for sure whether it is this kind of work or you know um draw any kind of art really and mm-hmm. so it is we're being bold and we're being brave and i think and and as women and as young women of minorities at at this time mm-hmm. it's super exciting but scary yeah. and awesome but i think also the listeners of this show are embracing that there's more than one voice out there it's not just the white male voice it's also an asian voice yeah. it's also a black voice it's also the female voice and Definitely. i'm going to choose to listen to those voices yeah 
I so agree. I think we should all give ourselves a pat on the motherfucking mm, back. Doing like, it, doing it. Yeah. Everybody, host, <laughs> listeners, like, we're doing it. We're, we're, we are here. We right. are standing against white supremacy. <laughs> and it's a journey. It's a journey it to is. break down internalized racism or intrapersonal racism. It's tough. It's it a day-by-day thing. It is. And I, I don't think people maybe notice it so much unless something does, like you said, something more traumatic happens or something at that moment. Because a lot of times I've been kind of caught off guard where I didn't even realize what was happening until I'm like, hmm, that was weird. Are we supposed to be nice to each other? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so a lot of it is just kind of starting to build that that it, that awareness um, and choose love. Choose Always. love over. I mean, I have Always. a bunch of Japanese friends. I love Japanese culture. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to let what they did you know, get in my way of relationship and connection mm-hmm. and delicious food and yeah. travel and all this stuff. It's not worth it. It's I'm just, not hating on my dark skinned black people. Yeah. Nope. It's not. They're beautiful. I'm mm-hmm. accepting all of them. Exactly. For sure. So, always. I refuse love. to continue to let internalized racism be a thing. It stops here with me. Yeah. I'm not teaching my kids that. No. And I mean, I, yeah, no way. Because now that you brought, brought that up, I'm sure 100% some there's a bunch of Asian and Japanese people that have married and have kids, right? For sure. And so amongst those those t- that era, I'm sure a lot of parents either disowned or disagreed with their daughter or son dating a Japanese. Absolutely. Which is just so unnecessary. Love is love. Yeah. You know. For sure. So it'll conquer all. It will. Well, that's our show, guys. <laughs> I hope that you are as fired up and as inspired as Jackie and I are to yep. stop letting internalized racism run your life. If you, if this episode has resonated with you, let us know. Reach out to us. Find us on the gram at Black and Yellow Podcast. Find us on Apple Podcast, Black and Yellow. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review us. Yes, yes, yes. And if you want to reach out to us independently, I'm Alana Webster. You can find me on the gram at Renegade of Fun. I'm Jacqueline Chung Young. On the on the it's on the hand on the on the IG, I was like totally blanking out looking at the <laughs> yes, time right you were, now for sure. I was thinking about what I should eat for lunch because I'm hungry. Awesome! I'm so glad that that is what you are thinking of at this very moment. If you want to find her or tell her what she should have for lunch today, uh, find her at Jacqueline Chung Young. This you. episode is produced by Christian Humes at Zeitheis, and we will be fed and we will talk to you next time on Full Stomachs. Bye, y'all. Love you guys. Stay woke. Bye. Bye.